0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's Hollywood Breaks. It's good to be with you once again. And, of course, we have Keith with us from beautiful Philadelphia. Hello, everyone. It's good to see you, Keith. Good to see you, too, Tim. Uh, You know, this is a pretty heavy week for us with the Emmys coming out this week and some of those winners, which I know we want to get to, and some pretty exciting kind of uh, things happening on on different platforms, uh, different companies and platforms announcing kind of like diff- different distribution models. Um, yeah. but before we go too heavy, I just want to point out I think your Emmy picks actually won, right? <laughs> did you did you get a 100%? Should I have actually put uh, your re- picks for, in the betting pool? Yes.
1: For best uh comedy and best drama, I scored 2 for 2. Yes. Schitt's Creek and Succession's uh what were were my two choices? <laughs>
0: I did not I'm choose shitscream. Maybe because I, I didn't want to say the, that bad word over and over again. I'm not. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, I don't know how your betting pool went. I actually didn't do so well. There's a lot of things that, even though um, I'm an Emmy voter and I watch m- most of the shows, I don't think I'm hitting the mark on what the overall demographics are choosing nowadays as best of shows. So yeah. I, I might be falling away from that center of the, the bubble but uh some pretty interesting uh evolutions taking place within just watching the emmy show you know I, um the show itself interesting format obviously trying to deal with yeah. uh, a, a different type of format during the pandemic i gotta mm-hmm. be honest i think you know i don't know what you can do but it's way better than just watching a bunch of zoom videos i thought yeah. they did a
1: pretty good job i think from a protect pr- production standpoint it was impressive um i i, I would just when i was watching some of it i would almost break out into sweat of <laughs> what <I think laughs> it would be like to be like a pa or a production assistant or a produ- even a producer on this thing just the amount of logistics getting all the zoom cameras set up making sure there are people there to deliver the award shows making sh- you know making sure everybody was healthy i mean just the logistical challenges to pull something like that off and the fact that they pulled it off um from a production standpoint was really really impressive and i think this sort of is a a, a case study and sort of what the next the the next phase of how we're going to produce these shows during this pandemic i mean we talked a little bit about ec fandom and sort of that being the future of the big convention space at least for the foreseeable future i think the emmy sort of laid the guidelines for how you can pull off an award show in this in this wild and crazy time we're in well what's so interesting
0: is that we're already kind of hearing a lot of things being canceled. I think I heard that New Year's Rocking Eve is not going to happen, so we know New Year's Eve isn't going to happen. But yep. I can't imagine the Oscars being in this in this format. There's just something about the red carpet, the dresses, the glamour. I mean, I, I almost would recommend pushing the Oscars back to June if they have to. But to, yeah, to I mean, not have uh, that that moment on stage As this would, would kill the show altogether.
1: Yeah, I mean, and uh, the show has struggled ratings-wise um and i think and we pointed out i pointed this out a little earlier i think what jimmy kimmel coming out and just saying you know we're not this this isn't serious there are a lot of more serious things going on in the world right now but we need fun and this is fun and i think that was a huge correction in terms of where the award shows have gone over the course of the last few years turning into these we're amazing um very political um shows that most of the country just isn't going to be interested in i mean yeah. L.A., and the entertainment industry in general, is supposed to be, especially in the States, is supposed to be the premier, preeminent entertainers of the world. And they can't even – I mean, the Oscars have always been sort of the big advertisement for working in Hollywood and just the big dream factory. And over the course of the last few years, that's been lost. And I think the struggle, to your point, Tim, and I think you're exactly right, is without the red carpet, which is, you know, my wife – who isn't necessarily i would call a hollywood file she loves watching that stuff she loves yeah. watching, her, but that's the only thing she cares about um and then you know the moments the dramatic moments on stage and some of the, you know the awards the awards that are always close um there's going to be something that, that's going to be lost um yeah
0: and to me like i the the point i've been making for the for maybe the last five years so you know i, I my I used to work on the Oscars, and back then it really kind of had Whoopi Goldberg. They were more playful. There's a lot of comedy bits. It actually mm-hmm. became kind of a music show for a while because Bruce Springsteen, Janet Jackson, those guys were kind of the, the award um, yeah. winners or at least uh, nominees at, at, um, early on. Um, but what was the transition really to become this political platform? You know, what I would tell people is like, but if you think about Oscar highlights that they show, they're showing like the Kublai Gooding Jr. moment where he's screaming and so excited. They're not showing the person ranting about the current president because right. that really becomes very stage, very insular in that one moment. Well, Although yeah. a very strong platform, it doesn't, it's not an entertainment space that you look back on. So I think the yeah, I mean, iconic moments we're looking for are more about the winners and the yeah. shows and the, and, the, and the events. And I thought the Emmys actually accomplished that pretty well.
1: Yeah, I think there, there was some really, uh, there was a nice moment with Zendaya when she won and her entire family was behind her, which is really cool to see. Um, you know, you're right. I mean, there, there's so many culture. There was Chubby Good Jr. There's uh, James Cameron, um, you know, ending his speech for Titanic saying, I'm the king of the world. There's <laughs> yeah. Challenging Billy Crystal to do. One-arm on push-up. <laughs> I mean, there are things like that that you just, they haven't happened in a long time. And no. I think, it I mean, this could be another a whole other podcast about the relevancy of best picture and how over the course of the last few years, it's mainly been movies that people in New York and LA watch and the rest of the country doesn't, um, which is, a, I think, a, a a big problem for the industry in general, because you when you go to Kodak Theater, for those of you who have never been there, um, in uh, Hollywood and Highland, they have the best pictures, uh, all uh, titles over the course of all the way back to the early night the start of the show in the 30s yeah and you can go through them and you're like oh yeah th- that was a hit that was a pop culture hit and then it's at a certain point i think it kind of started almost with the english patient yeah moving, start moving to more um, niche sort of storytelling and and then it just starts becoming movies that you, like, I don't remember what won last year.
0: Well, that's the four-year consideration movement, right? Then yeah. the late 90s, what the Weinstein brothers did and really kind of pushing this into a political platform and winning the campaign more than yeah. winning Best Picture. So with was Shakespeare in Love. The, yeah, yeah, Shakespeare in Love, that's the one, yeah. 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 Oh, I think English Patient might have been one of the tipping points too because there's an indie picture that beat out all the blockbusters. Of the moment, Yeah, well, Shakespeare I-
1: in Love was the when Harvey sort of basically – turned up the oscar campaign by a thousand yeah really wanted okay. that best picture and i think changed uh, the landscape didn't it like and now yeah. now
0: it became very political political yeah. and winning and political and presentation yep. but let's talk yep. about this because um uh Schitt's creek winning kind of yep. says something different about the what we're understanding of, of what the entertainment space really looks like Shits yeah. creek being hbo tv show but distributed yep. or mostly seen on netflix
1: yeah yeah i mean it, it it, so, for those who don't know, Schitt's Creek was a, a Canadian broadcasting company, original, and it was brought down to the States by Pop TV. And it really it had an, a decent run, but I would argue it really wasn't discovered until it went on Netflix. And then, I mean, honestly, that's when I saw it. I mean, I had heard of it, um, simply because I'm a big fan of um, Eugene Le- Levy and Catherine O'Hara. So, uh, you know, I, I've always kind of tracked anything they've been in, um, but it really didn't get a bigger audience. And I don't think it would have been discovered by the anti-voting audience unless it had been picked up by Netflix, which is fascinating because Netflix itself didn't win a ton of awards. But I would argue that the Shits Creek victory was, our, was, was a Netflix victory, simply because I think they, as a distribution platform, proved their worth wholesale with that victory.
0: Yeah, but let's and think about the economics of that, just that one thing you're saying there too. Netflix pours billions and billions of dollars into original content, which yeah. honestly, I think they put way too much in the talent pool and not enough in the production tool when they make their original content. So yeah. most of it doesn't stick. Like you might, right. you might spend a half hour or an hour and a half watching it, but you don't recall it. You're not telling your friends to watch it. It just fills in a, a small gap mm-hmm. where the, it's really the sticky stuff that we want to see. But what happens is some of that stuff, like you're saying, this is, I, I believe is HBO um, production. we don't know where to find it. The HBO Max, what CBS is doing, everybody has their own OTT platform, Peacock now being launched. We're really creating a mess of different distribution platforms. Mm -hmm. And so my ability to find the things that might stick becomes very hard. It's the what to watch problem. Yours is my favorite problem to solve. And this what to watch problem really solves itself if inside of one reliable OTT platform is the content you wanna see. And this Mm -hmm. really shows that combination. Here's a great show, but it's distributed on Netflix so we can find it because people log into Netflix first, probably Amazon Prime second. And then the shows pop up. Mm-hmm. And if we can recognize the economics that they're playing out <clears throat> and trying to get, stop the competition, I think Hollywood might survive. Um, but this OTT fight is really, really kind of a strange one that we're all in the middle of. I feel like it's almost a recreation of the v- VCR or VHS Betamax problem or the, you know, Blu-ray, Blu-ray Plus or uh, Blu-ray, Disney Plus Blu-ray, thing. Yeah. But uh, we're, it's in a platform fight again, but this, no one's going to win this one because the content being attached to it in such a way, it's going to be a very different struggle for the, for the people, viewer.
1: Yeah, it's interesting you should bring that up because some people have posited in some of the blogs I read that this is really the cable fight of the early 90s all over again. It's like, you know, when HBO came on Showtime and then, you know, all these – all these stations started popping up and, you know, the cable, the cable distributors are like, oh, we need this, we need this, we need this, we need this. And now it's basically, you think about Netflix, it's more or less a cable channel. I mean, it's, it's basically what it is. That's what all these OTT platforms are, is basically cable. And the idea that people have been pushing for a la carte, like I want to sign up for what I want, when I want it, where I want it is sort of playing out in the OTT space because you have Netflix, which is basically the sort of HBO of the early nineties cable wise with these massive bucket budget. Although to your point their their quality of production is not nearly what HBO is, was at the time and is now. So I think that's definitely a, something that we have to kind of look at is in terms of if it is about finding the right show. So for example, you talk about it, you know, the what to watch problem succession for example won best drama so that's an hbo show and you know people have sort of found that show simply because of the pop culture push behind it yeah and i think that was largely because but netflix stranger things are we still talking about that like it seems like after two seasons everyone sort of forgot about stranger things and now it's sort of like it's kind of gone back by the wayside. Yeah, Stranger so-
0: Things had a, had a couple other things, like there was took too long to get the, the second yeah. season going and then yeah. the became too formulaic. Yeah. The the marketing campaign was brilliant. I oh, love absolutely. what they did to get people to rewatch so that yeah. I got the I get the initial hit. So kudos yeah. to the marketing team. But yeah. you're right, like it doesn't stick again. But yeah. and, and to your point though, I do think it's like the cable fight early on, but it's, mm-hmm. it's OTT platforms are so different than a channel. Because once you get inside, it's not analog anymore. It's, it's, it's um, right. digital. So I can choose. It's infinite inside of each channel. And nothing's being pushed or distributed to me. So well, I don't all- have to like, find my flavor. I have to find the OTT platform and then find the flavor inside of it. And then find the content inside of it. And then it's not filtered for, for children. Right. So there's a whole other platform I have to bring in to read the reviews to decide that. Like It's just getting so messy inside of each of these platforms. Yeah, and then and to, have to, make, to launch two more is crazy out there in the universe right yeah, now. Yeah,
1: and it's also the UIs can be struggles, too. Like, I, I – Peacock's UI frustrates me beyond belief. Um, it's weird because my wife and I have – well, I've been reintroducing my wife to Friday Night Lights, which great show ran on NBC, and then DirecTV for about five seasons total. Um, but every time I log back in, it doesn't, it doesn't save where I was. Like, that was the one thing I, I like about oh. Netflix is, like, you can go to the continue watching – even though it's maddeningly tough to find because they throw all this other nonsense at you. Um, but in Peacock, you can't find it. Like you, you, you literally have to go to the search and type in Friday Night Lights again to find it. Cause they're, they're also throwing a ton of stuff at you. Yeah. And that's, either, that's, a whole other thing that sort of wasn't a part of the whole cable battle was sort of a, the interface that you have your consumers interacting with. I don't understand the, the need to make it so complicated. Like yeah. I, that's why I like Disney Plus, because it's simple. It's basic. It op- It launches. You have your four worlds. You choose which world you want to be in. They break it down into sort of targets. Now, is it perfect? No. But it's definitely more user-friendly than I, I think Netflix is. They're just trying yeah. so much. I
0: swear the DVR solved this problem. I thought TiVo kind of solved this problem for us. We can find the shows, download the shows, watch them when we wanted to. I, what I want from my OTT platform is to be able to do that same thing. I want to find my shows, find out where they are, and then start, start where I left off. You're exactly right. Give me yep. the pool of shows that I want. Yep. But um, he, let's ask this question because I know part of this mess and the new competitors of the field is really Peacock. As you're saying, kind of that push which uh, was so interesting to me because uh, Comcast by itself is a, naval, a cable provider yeah. and that cable thing is just dying. And so they're almost, uh, I feel like, you know, eating themselves on the inside with Peacock and not really winning. CBS All Access going to become Paramount Plus and then Apple TV um, trying to bundle up as Apple One. Like there's a couple of big moves still
1: taking place inside of that this war that's that we're seeing play out. Yeah, I mean, I think... It's interesting because Peacock, you know, a lot, if you are a subscriber to Comcast, you get it for free, um, the premium version for free. So there's sort of that tie-in, but at the same time, they're somewhat cannibalizing themselves. But then they also, Comcast also offers the Flex option, which I guess is a little box that's similar to Apple TV, um, so you don't necessarily have to subscribe to the cable. So they're trying to figure out ways to sustain themselves. But it is interesting. I, I read an article this past week in the Wall Street Journal that Jeff Shell is basically breaking down because the, the heartbeat of NBC Universal back maybe five, six years ago was their cable channels. That was sort of their bread and butter. The E's, the Scott, Sci-Fi's, the USA's, the Bravo's. Those were, that's where the money was. And when Comcast bought NBCU, the idea was, oh, look at all these cable channels that we can throw on our, you know, we can make money off of because every other cable carrier is gonna want those channels. And now the sort of shift is like, no, it's all about Peacock. We gotta get Peacock up and going. So I'm gonna start pulling people, we're gonna start laying people off from the cable channels, focus on Peacock, spend money on content. And it's sort of like everyone's scrambling to buff up their streaming service but at the same time, it's like at a certain point, the content itself is going to be so overwhelming that how is anyone yeah. going to find it?
0: And to, so, uh, so that's actually a pretty good transition to something I've been um, paying attention to and watching is this whole uh, evolution of TikTok as a platform mm-hmm. and the latest kind of movements happening on TikTok. Um, you know, just the just the explanation of the idea that the data distribution, capturing and storage, basically the analysis moving to a US-based platform has been some of the requirements of TikTok that that our government's been asking. Mm -hmm. And the deal with Oracle and Walmart was uh, allowing that stuff to, uh, that data to be handled within the US marketplace. But with that purchase, um, and it it changes every day, but um, with that purchase is this idea is the algorithm coming with it. Mm-hmm. and that algorithm really is the fight within TikTok it to me if you what they're doing is actually trying to discern and distri- distributing well the what to watch inside of their platform it's uh and the user interface to discern that is like are people watching certain items how long do they watch and it doesn't require much more interface than just a swipe of a finger to capture yeah. the data that they're looking for very brilliant in its in its platform but to recognize it's an entertainment platform that's gonna eventually compete with these OTT devices Mm -hmm. and the complications of these OTT and the simplicity of TikTok. I think that's what that that big dollar push was. That's why Microsoft was in the game. Um, I have a feeling that's why Google was out of the game because they would have gotten TikTok. They would have been the monopoly and and had a broken yeah, so alphabet. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it's so interesting that the, what's happening so, uh, coming from the back end of this whole thing is these apps that are taking that are consuming people's viewing time as well and aren't the big players, aren't the big names that we know, the brand names we know that would been distributing for years and years, um, but they are really killing it. I mean, they're consuming people's hours, entertainment hours on these platforms or on these apps that are very different than the, than the difficulty of kind of watching TV shows on the on the other platforms.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it also sort of dovetails of what, what we've been talking about, the changing nature of celebrity and the difficulty of getting production going in the COVID era, um, you know, all these streamers are relying on that sort of long tail production schedules takes months. You know, you have pre production, you know, shooting, post that that's months, and on top of all the COVID challenges that they're facing now too. Where it's TikTok and a lot of the other services, you know, people are just creating content every day. There's something new every time you open the app. It's something new, and that is really tough for the streamers to sort of you know battle against because one, it it's been built to be shown on the phone. Um, You don't need a big screen to see it. Uh, You don't need a TV. You just literally don't
0: need a, you don't need Adobe suites to edit it. Um, And as a matter of fact, it doesn't have have to be original. You can take someone else's content, copy it and make your own version of it. The repeatability of of this. Yeah, Yeah. it's
1: encouraged. And I think, again, that's sort of the, the challenge. And that's why so many of these big streamers are throwing money at big, like, you know, we could talk about Amazon's, Huge bet on sort of reigniting the Lord of the Rings franchise because they, uh, uh, Jeff Bezos, is obsessed with getting his um, uh, Game of Thrones on Amazon Prime Video, and sort of like all the effort and resources they put into that, and it still might not get nearly as many eyeballs as the latest TikTok video. It's just crazy, and I think it, it it speaks to the idea that what these streamers are really going to have to figure out is a coherent, what to watch strategy, how to grab people and get them interested in shows beyond just this typical 32nd promo trailer, you know, standard marketing campaign that everyone seems to think is never going to change and looking at some of these services and figuring out a way that they can be repurposes to help promote some of this stuff. And sort of maybe tie in, and I think we saw a little bit of that with some of the Snapchat originals, um, and I think that's still a viable option. Uh, but I, you know, it's it is really tough to be at a streamer right now and try to figure out the landscape and how best to get eyeballs on on your content. And I think that's one thing that they really have to figure out is how do we get how what how do we showcase to people what to watch that's not necessarily just an algorithm based on what they've watched previously you still have to make it simple and easy and discoverable to the point where, you know, you're going to be able to build that sort of momentum that's going to keep the show going.
0: And, and our, but our, our viewers that are content makers too, we, we want to kind of want to draw the attention to that these OTT platforms or TikTok or, or these distribution means really are like a change of pace to what we're used to in content creation and the, consumability of the of the information, the production value or production quality that's there, even just the the method at which you produce those videos are gonna have to change. We're gonna have to think yep. about things differently if we're gonna compete and get visibility out there. There's still yep. money to be made. There's probably more money now in content than there ever was oh, uh, in the content yep. game. Yep. So we, we're not seeing it in the traditional forms. And some of those uh, that have been in content for a while know that that distribution models are totally changing underneath their feet. and wondering where it's shifting to, but the visibility of just uh, content and the ability to consume it has become much, much, much easier. Um, It's just that the competitions become more fierce because more people can edit, shoot, edit, and distribute inside of the TikTok platform than ever before. So there are infinite number of content creators instead of that gateway model yeah um, but I, I, to me, like I think that 's the, the focus of trying to understand what this e- economy is going to be for us, like if we 're going to be content makers, we have to be thinking through what our show is, who 's going to watch it, uh, why it 's even being created, and then where to distribute it so that those those pieces of the model can fit together in making the right kind of platform or right kind of content for the platform otherwise, yeah, you, um, as we 're seeing with film and other places, like things shift really quickly. And all of your investment can go down the drain.
1: I think you know, I think that may be somewhat behind the strategy of what's happening with Warner Media, for example, which is also sort of going, going under undergoing a transformation under Jason Klar. And I think the same thing with what Jeff Schell's philosophy is: is like, listen, we're gonna we're gonna have a main content hub where everything is sort of decided, and then based on what the project is, why we're making this then determine the platform that's best in service to get you to the audience, whether or not it's a theatrical, whether or not it's a combination of theatrical and PIVOD, whether or not it's a combination of theatrical and PIVOD with streaming, uh, you know, all those factors. And I think that's sort of where things are starting to head, where it was just like, okay, I have a movie, I'm going to go pitch it to Warner Brothers, yeah. right? Or I have a TV show, I'm going to go pitch it to NBC. Now it's like, okay, I'm going to go pitch it to... Whoever the entertainment head is, may it be Ann Sarnoff, and she's like, no, 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 I think this is great for theatrical. Go see Toby Emmerich. Yeah. Or yeah. I think this is better for uh, HBO Max. So go see them. So I think that is sort of what we're starting to see a little bit more of, and I think that's where the the restructuring that's currently happening at some of these big players is starting to head towards. And again, to your point, it really is opening up sort of the opportunities for content makers to find the best distribution model for their piece. Um, Yeah. The
0: ability to reverse engineer the problem, be able to find the right place at the right time and put it out there. I think that that's what we're looking forward to actually, as this stuff starts to clear up is be able to find that audience for the, that message and get it out there. That's the promise of this
1: data built based world. Yeah. I think this just popped in my head, but a great example of what this is, is like what happened with the new Fresh Prince of Bel Air. I don't know if you're familiar with what happened, but I guess, um, I don't know if he was a cinematographer or a stuntman. I can't remember the whole story. Forgive me if I get the details incorrect, but he basically shot a a dramatic version of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and it got so much heat that Will Smith actually watched it, got into it, and then he took it, they took it to Peacock, and now it's being produced as a show for Peacock. That's brilliant. The opportunity's there. It's just right there. Yeah, absolutely is. Yep.
0: Well, it is time to wrap it up. As always, we can talk forever. I think next week we're going to focus a little bit more on film. Um, but our yeah, it, 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 job it, 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 and our just dis-
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, Emmy week, we got to focus on TV. Yeah, we got to we got to focus on TV. Yeah, that's true. It's a Emmy but, week. That's. True.
0: Our desire is to uh, be able to give some insider information to you guys, uh, reflect the conversations we have on a weekly basis and put those out there for you so you can think through and critically think about what it takes to make the film, distribute the film, and understand that some of the uh, environment that's moving on and, as we say, breaking Hollywood. Yep. Um, Keith, it's so good to be with you this week. I want to give a special thanks out to our producers, Lydia Scarlett and Ethan Hill, who help us behind the scenes and getting this out there and distributed. So thank you all very much. I want to thank Go Social for their social media work uh, they're doing for us and getting the information out there for us. We appreciate all of you behind the scenes. Of course, the team at Rev Think who supports me every day, and my favorite, Keith Rao, who brings the knowledge to this show. Keith, thank
1: you so much for being part of this. Thanks, Tim. Always a pleasure to be with you.